Welcome to Express Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We are a ministry of Arizona Message Ministry, the message to the number two dot US. We are supported financially by HaribouBooks.com. Make sure you go on there, buy some of the books that are there, donate them to your school, donate them to your church, donate them to your library so we can get the message of hope and the message of encouragement out. Enjoy the podcast. Good, good. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Express Church Podcast. I'm so happy to have my friend Erica here today. Uh, we're going to have an exciting time together. Erica, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, life is good. Life is good. I wanted to, you were the perfect person to have on. Uh, it was kind of interesting to follow up on our my the sermon that we did on personal pandemic. And then from there, we had it. We had my mom and my sister. My mom had lost her husband, her son, and her grandson. And my sister lost her son. And so we were talking about additional personal pandemics. And I know every year you take the lead. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just if you can tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. I always like to do that. And then why is it that you are involved in the? Uh, prevention of suicide. So go ahead. Well, um, I'll, I'll start out by saying um, I just landed in this just basically by coincidence. You know, God really does put you in the place that you need to be right when you need to be there. And I happened to work in radio. And in 2017, uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention actually ran some advertising with my station. And I heard it and my friend Katie had lost a brother to suicide, I believe, in that same year. And so I I grabbed her and I said, you know, Katie, I think this would actually be really good for you. Let's go to this walk together. And first of all, I had no idea how emotional it was going to be for Katie. But it was also deeply impactful to me. And I went to this event that was actually held in a park in downtown Phoenix And as I'm at the event on that particular year, there were 2,000 people that had gathered because their lives had been touched by suicide. And I don't know if you've ever been in a group of 2,000 people. It's a lot of people. And for me to be sitting in the middle of that and looking around and thinking, oh, my gosh, this many people have been touched? I had no idea that this was as prevalent as it is. And it just made me start thinking, you know, I bet a lot of the people that have left this world were, they left the world because they felt depressed and lonely. And it just hit me at that moment. Like I was feeling right at that moment because 2017 was not a great year for me. Um, I had some relationship issues. I'd had some health issues. I'd had a lot of job stress. It was just a little overwhelming, and it was the last time that I had a really difficult bout with depression. And I've had depression my entire life. I really started um, going to therapy when I was about 25 years old, so that was about 20 years ago, not to date myself or anything. Um, But I've been dealing with depression for a really long time. I probably had my my very first bout with depression when I was ten years old. All right, I'm, I'm gonna jump in. I jump in and interrupt a few times too because uh, just to to kind of keep it rolling both both ways. So um, the kind of the interesting thing is, and I'm gonna have you go back to 
where where you were. But what's interesting is it it reminded me when after my brother was killed, my mother was part of Parents of Murdered Children, and they had a convention in Minnesota that year, and I re, and I was working for the governor after. Well, as I said in the sermon, my world crashed, and then I came back around and was really surprised at how all the blessings came. And so I was working for the governor, had personal access both to the governor of Minnesota and the lieutenant governor. So I went to the lieutenant governor, and I said, hey, there's a convention for parents of murdered children. Would you come and speak with them? And she was like, Wow. And I, that was before I asked my mom, and I and so I told my mom, "Is like we're and we're doing it." And I used to be able to do, um, I think they're called declarations. I forgot now. Well, you have the pro- proclamations. I used to be able to do proclamations. So we did a proclamation and declared that day, Parents of Murdered Children Day, and the go- lieutenant governor brought the proclamation. But walking in there, and the one thing that I saw was there's a lot of people who had so much hurt and anger that they couldn't get over it. Um, there's a there's kind of a different situation with people who are whose family members have committed suicide versus people whose families were murdered. And so there's a lot of people that they wanted vengeance against the uh, person who killed their ch- their child. So, but at the the same thing is you still have that loss. So anyway, I, you just brought that to me. So go back, go back to where you were. Is well, it, you know what you're saying is it's it's grief, and um, you know, anger is one of the ways that you get through grief, and I, I feel like parents, well, not just parents, anyone who has lost someone to suicide. You know, um, there's a lot of steps that you go through and anger is one of them. And, you know, it's hard to be angry at the person, but you are because they deprived you of their presence. So, like, no matter what happens, it's still grief. And um, just because, you know, I've been a person that has suffered from depression for most of my life, um, I, I can relate to that dark place. And I just sort of fell into this. Because I just felt such a strong connection with the people that um, are really in a position where they feel like they're in so much pain that they don't want to live anymore. And the the good news is suicide is 100 percent preventable, but we have to put the we have to put things in place in order to catch people to keep them from falling through the system. So that's sort of what, that's sort of some of the work that I do with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, My job is a volunteer and um, I actually sit on the board now. So I'm their social media chair. A lot of what I do is things like this, like marketing, podcasts, social media, Um, but it's really to kind of get the word out to people. So if there are people out there that are suffering, then they actually know where to go. How how do you, reach somebody because I remember when I was in that moment and after I did well, the Saturday before I did the sermon I talked to my brother and my brother is a year older than I am and we were roommates from the time basically we were born I was born he's older than I am way older <laughs> he's a year older so from the time that, that I was born we were roommates all the way through college 
we were college roommates. Then when he got married, I was his best man at his wedding. And with my first spouse, he was my best man. So we were inseparable <laughs> for 20 some years. And um, he, after the message, I called him up. Uh, no, before the Saturday before the message, I said, I'm going to say something I haven't told anybody ever in life. I'm going to put it as part of the sermon. And I had it, I was, which is really when, like, as you said, God puts you in places that you don't expect to be in. I was doing a, I'm doing a sermon series on the seven churches of Revelation. And I got through six yeah. churches, had the seven church sermon already ready. And then it just kept hitting me. God said, you got to tell your story. So I'm like, no, I, actually, I really don't. <laughs> you know, I went 30 years without doing it. I'm just, I'm good. You know, I don't need to say it. And he just kept on me. So I told my brother I was going to say, made this, do the sermon. And that day after I said, after I did it, I called him up. I said, I told you I was going to say something that tell a story. He's like, when I heard it, it really upset me. He actually used a different word, but we're on, we're on the air. So I, <laughs> I don't want to get bleeped. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, for a second. And then I got over it. Then I got, and then I got over it. And I was like, why were you upset? He's like, because you never called me to tell me you were that dark. And there's a point where I was, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think that he was somebody I should call. And then and then Marla, my wife, she's like, why didn't you call your parents? Your parents would have given you anything. And it's like, you don't know, you, when you're there, you don't think that. So how do we get people to think that there is enough people that will help them with whatever problem they have. Well, first of all, you have to, first of all, you have to keep an eye on your people. And if you feel like that there's somebody in your life that is acting strangely, they're not being themselves. Um, if they have um, giving you, given you really very personal gifts or um, like they've been depressed for a long time and they're starting to like, then they lighten up. Some of those could all be symptoms of someone that has made a decision that they want to take their life. Um, so the way that you pull somebody out of it is you have to ask them directly. And first, I've had the conversation with people. It's uncomfortable. I completely understand how somebody would <laughs> be uncomfortable with it. But you have to ask them directly and you have to look them in the eye and you have to say, I love you. I'm worried about you. And I'm really concerned that you may be thinking about taking your own life. Is that something that you have thought about? And a lot of people like don't like to ask the question because they think that it's going to put something in their head. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not. If you think that they might be thinking it, they probably are. So Whatever their answer is, because some people will say, yes, I was considering that. And some people will say, oh, no, not me and push it away. It doesn't matter what the answer is. Whatever they answer, they set you say. Listen, I want you to know that I care about you. And if you were to disappear from this earth, it would greatly affect me. And I would be devastated. What can I do to help? In doing that, 
what you do is you take this cycle, you break that cycle of them thinking nobody loves me, nobody cares about me. Like there's this cycle that goes on in your head. And so as soon as you turn it around and say, you know what that would do to me, it breaks someone's cycle. And they start to become, they start to think, oh, well, this isn't all about me anymore. And it helps them to bridge that gap and think more about the person that's sitting in front of them rather than themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense. The, the, and I was thinking about it. It was kind of weird is it almost sounds like in, a, in one sense that the person who's talking is you don't want to do it because you don't want to sound selfish. Like it's all about me. If you, you're going to hurt me, you're going to hurt me. And when it's really all about the other person, but they're at, right. the, at the same time, I remember my decision was based on the fact that I didn't want to hurt my kids. That was the only reason why it didn't happen. And so we need mm-hmm. to let people know that as long as there's some, there's a reason and there's somebody to live for, then you're not, you got a better chance. So I think that as you're talking, that's what everybody, everybody needs to know that there's somebody to live for. Absolutely. And, and a lot of times people get in this cycle and I hear this a lot when people say, if you're feeling that low reach out and I'm going to tell you from somebody that has struggled with this, if I am feeling that low, I can't reach out. It's, not inside of me to do that. So you have to depend on the people around you to come to you, to pull you out. And it's something about that eye to eye connection and looking at someone in the eye and telling them that you really care about them. It's something about that connection that makes them feel more connected to this earth, but you have to be the one to go to them. You can't depend on them to come to you because like you said, a lot of times people get so buried in their grief or their depression or their pain that they're not able to do that. So you have to really, you got to keep an eye on your people, man. Um, I've got a few that I keep keep an eye on just to make sure. And you have to check in on them pretty regularly just to make sure they're okay. And and that might be the, especially now though, when, when you have the, the big pandemic, people going through the personal pandemic and you really, I can't go over the house. And, and I was talking, I don't remember which message you don't ask them how you're doing, you know, cause everybody's going to say fine, you know, and there's okay. a lot of people that when I tell the story, they're like, you, you're always in a good mood. You're always even kill. It's like, no, but nobody asked what's going on in your life. You know, cause if right. people would have been, would have asked what's going on in your life. They would. They might have said, "Whoa, this is this a lot of weight that this young man's trying to carry." And mm-hmm. so, if if to to ask, and I see that posted all the time, it, you know, call me if you're in trouble. Do this. And I just look at it like it's never going to happen. I shouldn't say never. And more times than not, it's not going to happen. Right. But if you're, right. the, it, go ahead. But if you're the person, like like you have to. That's why you have to keep an eye on your people because you have to be the one to reach out. And, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, I just go off on these tangents, but (laughs) when I went to that walk in 2017, I really wanted to combat loneliness. And so I set a goal for myself of meeting one new person a week for a full year. And, um, during that process, that whole process actually changed my life. 
Um, but to bring it back here to the pandemic, what I realized through that process is that, you know, used to, we used to have neighborhoods and communities that took care of, took care of our people. Um, so I have taken the opportunity in this pandemic to really reach out to my neighbors. Like I have a, I have a, a retired teacher that lives right next door to me and she, She's very quiet. She doesn't say a lot of stuff. But when the pandemic first broke out, I went and rang her doorbell and I said, listen, you don't have to open the screen door. Um, you know, I want you to feel safe. But I also want to give you my card with my cell phone number on it. If something happens and you get COVID, let me know if you need anything. And I live right next door. I'll come drop it off at your doorstep. And that was my way of reaching out to her just to say, listen, you're close to me. Um, I didn't ask her how she was. I mean, we had a small conversation, but realistically what I did was I reached out to her, somebody that lives next to me that we exchanged pleasantries, but I don't know a ton about her life. And, you know, just even that small little here, I just want to make sure you're safe. That's something that could make somebody feel good enough to say, yes, I am loved. I am needed. I am wanted. People need that. We need to be doing more of those little things for people. And that's, I think, one of the ways that we can kind of keep an eye on people during the pandemic. The other is, you know your people that may be in trouble. Um, if you know that they're in trouble, make sure you get on a video chat with them. Just check in every now and then. I've got a friend of mine that I know, like me, she suffers from a lot of depression. And sometimes she'll say, you know, man, I'm just having a really bad week. Well, I make a point to check in with her to say, hey, just checking in with you. Like, how are you doing? And uh, we can have a conversation. And if she really feels like she's having a like a really tough time, um, sometimes we'll schedule a spontaneous video chat where she just talks and I listen so that I can help kind of get her through the hump. There you go. And I and I've actually almost every week since this pandemic has really hit hard. Somebody's either called my office or come to my office who's lost a job. And mm -hmm. even today, a guy who was – or this week, a guy was, was projected to go from a quarter million to 350000 a year um, after next year. And he is now looking at potentially zero. And mm -hmm. to go from that and to work to, – you don't – $350,000 a year jobs just don't show up at your door without working for it. So this right. guy battled for all these years to get to the point where finally I'm at where I should be in my career. It's going to happen within a year. And then to have that whole thing just explode on him. And so I was talking to him and, and I always, it's kind of weird because I already know from my past experience to focus in and, 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 People say, I've lost everything. And I remember somebody in my office when I used to do a lot of bankruptcy. I lost everything. And I said, oh, that's really too bad. When did your children die? And he's like, what are you talking about? My children didn't die. I thought you said you lost everything. I said, are your children, your children are healthy? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I don't think you lost anything then. And I've had people say, wow, I didn't look at it that way. Yeah, you, you know, the world wants us to look at the financial and everything, but when when all is said and done, if you got family, you got your own personal health, and you got friends that care about you, that there's nothing else, you know. School, your 
but then people say that you know they're like I somebody was telling me that their child their teenage child broke up with their I don't remember his boyfriend or girlfriend and and they're really down and it's it's really tough for for people who think that my whole world is focused in on an external person and I think it's really mm-hmm. hard hard to focus in on teenagers or young adults that finally get that first love and then have it taken away from them. So, right. Listen, the the great thing about that first love, it's so impactful and so strong, but what a lot of times kids don't realize is, you know, it hurts so badly the first time, mainly because you've never been through it before. You've never been through that, that pain. So you don't know what it feels like. And then, you know, after you've been broken up with a couple of times, like you start, I don't want to say you get immune to it. It always makes you sad, but you kind of like go, oh, this is what I'm going to go through now. But that first time you don't know what to expect. And like the first time I went through depression, I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know what to expect. But now that I'm in my mid forties, I've been through it several times. And so I can feel it creeping on. And when it does start to creep on, I go, oh. Now I know what this is now. And now that I have a label for it, it's much easier to be able to do it. That's it. That's it. And and I my when my uh, spiral started, I was 26, my brother was 31. And I remember that I remember that day. So that was 30 that was 31 years ago, 33 years ago. And something like that. And I still remember mm-hmm. that day, exactly what happened that entire day, where I was, what I was doing when I got the call. And what's really interesting is I was with my, my best friend from college and and uh, law school. We were actually in college together, and he was a basketball player, and I played football and ran track. And so we all hung around you know, in the, the weight room and the gym and everything. And, and one day he's like, Zach, where are you going to law school? And I'm like, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. He's like, man, let's go to the University of Minnesota. We're going to go together. I'm like, oh, man, that's cool, man. Let's let's do that. We're going to go to we're going to go to law school together. So we went to law school. And then we after we graduated, people, uh, they go their separate ways. And he happened to be in town that day and he was going to drive back to his place. But it was a blizzard. And I'm like, man, you can't drive. Mm-hmm. Oh, fine. You can't drive in a blizzard. Just stay here. And that was the day that. Uh, my brother, I got, we got the news and then he stayed and take, took care of my kids. Then about a year and a half, two years later, he winds up drowning. And so it's like, keeps, it just keeps going down and down and down. And then, but, and so that when you have that first one, that first critical death, that's so close to you. And then you back it up with another one and then you back it up with some other things. And then you back it up with, and it just, goes on top of each other, top of each other, top of each other. Now that, um, you know, now I'm on the other side of it, especially since I do ministry and I'm in, I call it invited to uh, be around the, the death of, or being at the last, last how are we going to say it? The last, <laughs> the last moments of someone's life. It uh, makes a lot of difference now, um, that experience that I had then to be able to now talk to people. So yeah, that first one, and, and it's hard to tell somebody 
you know, it's going to be better because everybody has to walk through it. And so what do you say to somebody who you know is j- their life just crashed? What would you say to them? I mean, look, because I, trust me, I've been on, I have been in some monster tra- crashes in my life. Here's what I know for sure. Um, you're going to be in a lot of pain. It's going to feel like it's never going to end. It's not going to be pleasant. The thing that I know is as long as you have breath in your body, you have a hope for a better tomorrow. And um, no matter any time I've ever gone through anything super difficult, the biggest thing that I know is I come out a better person because of it. I come out better, stronger than I ever would before. I think God a lot of times puts challenges in our life to test us, to make sure that, to make us be better than we, than we are originally. Um, and I know that's sometimes hard to hear, but we would never be able to experience great joy if we don't go through great pain because we never know between the two. So um, when somebody is going through somebody something very difficult, first of all, I give them a lot of empathy because I've been through some tough <laughs> stuff. Uh, but I also tell them, Whatever you're going through, this is going to make you better. And I can't tell you why, but this is this is going to be this is God's plan. Your whatever you're going through, it's supposed to be the yeah. They, the the Bible you're going to be okay. The Bible calls it being purified by fire. You know, you got to get you got to be purified. Right. You got to be sharpened. You got to be hardened. Um, but the interesting story on that statement. Uh, there was a guy I know who he's about my age. He's in his early 60s, and his uncle died of of coronavirus. And his two that that uncle's two children, his which would have been his first cousin male, his first cousin female, also died. It was almost it was like back to back to back. And then one mm-hmm. of the other uh, cousins is a nun in, in the ministry. And so she came in for this mass funeral and she said to them, uh, you, everybody just has to understand it's God's will and they will not talk to her anymore. From that statement, they will not talk to her. Yeah. It's, uh, well, yeah, because you don't want to think that that's God's will because that sounds horrible. Like, um, I mean, you don't, you don't want to believe, you don't want to believe that. So you do have to have a lot of empathy with people because listen, when you lose somebody that's really close to you, and particularly if you've lost multiple members of your family, it's really, really hard. And some of that anger is kind of maybe like misplaced anger because you're really angry that the per- the people aren't there anymore to be with you. Um, that's, that's probably what you're really angry about. And it's very hard to believe, oh gosh, you're taking all this away from me. So that's God's will. That's God's will. But there, I really do believe that there is a master plan and everything works out the way that it's supposed to be. Now you may not like it. (laughs) It might be very, very painful, but on the other side of it, you will be a better person because of it. So it's, that's the best comfort that I can really give someone. And sometimes I don't know what to say. Sometimes I just sit and listen 
because that's all you can really do. That's it. And, and sometimes you have to just sit and just be there because, you know, the person yeah. may not want to talk, but just the, the fact that you're there. Um, but yeah, so they, they, and, and during this whole big argument about how, you know, I, I hate God then because if it's God's will that he took, took our family members, that's not a God I want to be around. And so I, I asked the guy, I said, who owns life? And just stopped the whole, and, and he looked at me like, what do you mean, who owns life? Who owns life? Who created life? Who cre- the person who created life owns it. And that person can decide if the life is here or the life is in heaven. So, and when he's ready to, re- to move that life from one side to the other, he's going to do it. It's just the way it's just it's his decision because he owns it. I was like, if you owned mm-hmm. if you owned a mansion and you let somebody use it for as long as you say you can live in my mansion as long as you want. And then the person came back and, and you came back then 10, 15, 20, 40 years later and said, hey, I'm going to come back into my mansion. Would you be upset? You know, <laughs> but oh, it was my house. No, it was never your house. You know, and, mm-hmm. and as soon as you understand that you don't own life, all you do is you own the ability to do things with the life that you have. Then I think it changes an entire perspective and that there is a there's a purpose that you have. And the purpose that you have to be here is great. And I think if people understand your purpose is great, not only is it great, your purpose is unique. Nobody else has the same purpose identical purpose we all a lot of us have similar purposes but everybody has a unique purpose to influence and impact the earth while they're here and the and i also believe that if somebody's going through a lot of pain it's usually in this and one minister said the devil is peering into your future and i was like wow the devil is peering into your future Go, go, what's your thought on that one? How how you've come? How's it come well, when you come through it? You know what? Here's here's here, here's what I think. Um, I think a lot of people hang on to anger. They don't want to love everything. Um, anger is a very dangerous thing for people to hang on to. Um, it will it will rot you from the inside out. Um, and I think, and look, it's okay to feel anger because we're all going to get angry at some times. Like, lady cut me off the other day, and for whatever reason, I don't usually get mad about that. But, oh, that just really ticked me off. But when I feel that, you have to learn how to forgive in your heart. So if you're saying, oh, I hate God now because, you know, he is taking these people out of my life, you have to learn how to forgive. Because you have to learn how to forgive and you have to walk away from that anger and just say, listen, I don't want this anger poisoning my life. So how do I get rid of it in one way or another? Because um, there's a lot of angry people walking around. And I can tell you from that little experiment I did where I met 52 people, there are so many people walking around with grief. And a lot of times grief and anger go hand in hand because it's hard for people to deal with the grief because it's so painful. So what they do is they lash out in anger. And so you see, particularly on social media, a lot of people that are really angry 
Um, and I think that that anger a lot of times comes from grief. Right. And then somebody was telling me depression is anger turned inside. And so you go from grief to anger to depression and you it, because you can't turn it back out and you can't get over it. So you have to get over that first part, which is why is why are things not going the way I want them to go? And the reason yeah. I, I've always found the reason is, is because they actually are going the way you want them. You just don't don't know that that's the way that you really want it to go because there's another force that's peering into your future and say and telling you that in, with deception, you don't want to go down that path. You want to go down this other path. And then you start veering off into that path and hearing, listening to the wrong voices and listen to, you know, a person that wasn't supposed to be with you to start with. And um then you get down, get down there. It's like the prodigal son. He winds up in waddling and pig slop. And, and as one minister said, everybody's going to, going to be in pig slop. The only question in your life is how often and how long. Eh. Right. And it's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's about, it's about how many times you get up. Um, I kind of describe my depression. like this. Depression to me is like drowning in negative thoughts. Um, and you know, usually for me, it starts to kind of, the negative thoughts kind of come in a little bit and I start treading water and you'd ask me how I would be. And I would say, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because I can still breathe because I'm just treading the water. And then something grabs my foot and starts to pull me under and you have to fight, get back to the surface than to start seeing the light and to see the positive things around you. But if you don't fight, you will eventually be taken down to a dark, dark place that you can't even see the light anymore. And that's where it really gets dangerous for people. So um, to your point, like you don't want to be dragged down that deep things in your life. And sometimes you have to purposely find things in your life to make you feel better. Like, um, you know, I'm building some furniture now and I am not a person that is handy at all, but I found great joy in just being able to do something with my hands and following the instructions. So um, that's suddenly brought unexpected joy into my life. You have to find those little moments, like whether it's maybe like, you know, your cat coming over and laying on your lap or whatever it is that makes you feel good. It's you have to take those moments and hold on to them. And particularly if you're in a dark place, you really have to like focus in on them because look, there's both good and bad in the world that are out there. Um, there's not really more of one than, an, a, a, than another. So if you are down deep that you can only see the negative stuff, then you're getting this hazy water in front of your face because that's not reality. Reality is that everything is not bad. There's God has created so much good in this world. And you just have to find those points. You have to be able to see them. And sometimes you have to fight to see them. But I promise you they are there. Yep. And and so much beauty in the world. And oh I didn't realize how beautiful it is until Marla started forcing me to travel. And so now we've Mm -hmm. we've gone to different countries and different people and different foods and you know, even when I was in in, in uh, running litigation for for a national national 
organization and I was flying into different places. And it's like, man, this, even in the United States, how many beautiful places. And a person told me, you should always try to act like a tourist in your own city because your city has amazing things that you probably never have seen and definitely in your state. I mean, there's even, I've mm-hmm. been in Arizona for 15 years and surprisingly I've not been to the Grand Canyon yet just because there's so many different things. Tombstone, you know, there's just, there's historical things where you can, even just the art center, um, it's just, you just have to take a moment and I would tell somebody, if you're down, become a tourist just for a week and you'll see it, how, how phenomenal it is no matter what city you go into. Because when you go to a city, you become a tourist and you go to things like, wow, why don't I ever do that at home? You know, the historical center of the I city. Know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so amazing to me. Like people travel all the way across the world and, and I keep telling people, I'm like, find little things to do that are just really close to home. You don't have to go all the way around the world to enjoy something. We have actually some pretty amazing stuff right here that's right under your nose, but you have to make a point of it and you have to find it. Um, I'm actually part of the Big Brother Big Sister program. I don't know that you knew that or not. So I have a um, 13-year-old little sister named Iris. And I mean, this dates pre-COVID because she's been my little sister for four years, but we would just make a point every two weeks to go and do something fun. And um, in four years, I'm still finding things for me and Iris to do. So if I can do it, she's my excuse. Maybe you just need an excuse to go do something, but you've got to make a point of doing it. Yep, and that that's it. Because there's it's amazing how much there is, and how many good people. And I like how you did is I, I'm going to meet a new person every week. Um, there's there's so many people out there, and what you find is you start weeding out. You know, it's almost like you're you're pruning your own garden because you have a circle and you have good people in that circle. But then as you meet other people, it's like, you know, the people that were in my circle, really, I thought they were had my best intentions. But there was only really a couple, two or three of those. And these, there's five people over here that I've never met that really want to know more about me, who I am, want to help me. And so you got to keep pruning and, and meeting new people and keep moving on because there's, there's just there's brilliant minds, too, in this in this world that you can just learn richness from. And so if you if you just focus and, in on that. Yeah. And I will tell you the biggest lesson that because I mean, these were just random people that I met Um, some of them were friend referrals that friends referred to me and some of them I just kind of met randomly. But people because some of them were very regular life but they taught me things about humanity and um they told me stories that i'd never even thought about um like one gentleman was telling me about his father who was an illegal immigrant and came over to the united states when he was like i think like 13 years old or something like that and he told me about his father's journey and how he got here i never had anyone tell me anything like that before 
And it really changed the way that I looked at things. So I met this, I met this guy through this process of meeting one new person a week that his father was an illegal immigrant um, that came over here when he was, I think like 13 years old, he was really, really young. Um, But the guy actually told me his father's journey of how he got from Mexico to the United States. And it was amazing because I'd never heard anything like that before. It's just not something that people talk about in regular conversation, but it just came up and I was fascinated. And I will tell you, it really changed the way I looked at a lot of things in regards to immigration, just based on that story. So I always say, go sit down with people that are different from you, that maybe look a little different from you, that maybe believe a little different things, because we all have things in common. Um, We all have our humanity in common, and you might learn something about a story that you never expected to hear that you didn't even think about, but it may change the way that you look at the world just a little bit differently. Yep, that's it. That's it. And so just for those that that don't know uh, and may not have uh, picked up on my my Minnesota accent, (laughs) you're from not Arizona as well, correct? Correct. Like I grew up in southwestern Kentucky, so it's the Nashville accent. I've been here 20 years, but this accent isn't going anywhere. <laughs> That's it. And and so how how the difference from being there versus here? And I'm presuming that even how even though you were close to Nashville, it's it's different climate, uh, not climate weather wise, but climate social. And and how, how have you adjusted to that? Well, you know, every place has its own flavor. And even here in Arizona, we have different flavors, um, like wherever you go. Like, you know, where I live in Mesa is very different from downtown Phoenix. Um, downtown Phoenix is very different from Scottsdale. Um, Scottsdale is very different from maybe somebody that is living on um, one of the reservations. So, like, every place has its different flavor. But here's the one thing that stays consistent. People are always the same. We all have both good and bad in us. Um, we all do some questionable things sometimes. Um, we, But we all very deeply care about people and particularly people that we love. Um, there's really a common thread that kind of runs through all of that. So if you can somehow connect with that, it doesn't really matter like where you come from or um, you know, if you're in a little bit different place. Uh, people are people. Um, they still care very deeply. And I really believe in in my heart of hearts, I believe that everybody is good in their heart and they really want to be good. But there are sometimes some very difficult challenges that prevent them from doing that. Um, and sometimes you can help them overcome that and sometimes you can't. But um, at the heart, I really do believe all people are good. That's it. And so we, we I think we, our idea when we talking about uh, suicide prevention is tap into the good and really nurture that and make sure that that continues to grow. And, and really, I, I mean, I just look back on that time in my life and how quick it can turn from good to bad to fatal and how, mm-hmm. how, you know, how to be in front of that. I think is the is the biggest challenge, understanding and trying to communicate to people that your worth, uh, and and how you define your worth, 
but I'm really my my biggest thing after I made gave the message. Oh, by the way, I gave the message. A minister heard it, called me up, said you have to record it for our church, and I'm like, no, I did it once. I'm not doing it again. I I choked it out once. He's like, no, that ha- that message has to come out. So then I went and and did it again at his church, and afterwards he said, how did it feel? I'm like, it actually wasn't as hard. The second time, it's still tough. Um, he's like, well, I wanted you to, the real reason why I wanted you to do it is I wanted you to have, to do it again because you're going to have to give that story over and over again. So I was really grateful. He's one of my close friends that he wanted to do it while he was there to get it one more time because the story, and I, I believe that if, if that story gets to people before, I think we could really save some lives. And I think that getting together with people, because there's a lot more attempted than there are that actually uh, don't live through it. And to see how people who come, right. how people come around from it and their story because of it, I think if that gets out there, hey, I tried, I got close, I was going to do it, but now I'm here. And I'm glad I am. Well, I, you know, just personally, um, you know, I was, I was pretty deep, dark in depression, probably about my mid twenties. And, uh, there was definitely some situational stuff that was going on that was, um, um, very challenging. Um, I was going through a divorce at the time and it was the first time that I'd ever really failed at something. And, you know, again, when you're young, you've never been through something you don't really know what to expect. And it's like the worst thing in the world. Cause you have, you have no idea, you know, if anything is ever going to get better and it seems like it never does. Uh, but you know, I had had a moment there that I was just feeling so worthless. Cause I was like, okay, I failed at my marriage. I, you know, I'm not a good person. Um, you know, I feel it. My family doesn't care about me because they're so disappointed in me. And I was curious around with me and the thing that really got me through it is I mean I'm a big animal lover Um, at the time I had a little blind dog and I kept thinking you know if something happens to me who is going to take care of her and I know that sounds really silly but you have to have that thing to go keep going and now if Um, you know, since then I've written a couple of books. Um, I have talked a lot about suicide prevention and I've actually helped a lot of people, uh, overcome a lot. So back when I was 25, if I had taken my life at that point, I would not have been able to write the two books that I've written. I would not have been able to help as many people as I've been able to help. And I've helped a lot of people overcome a lot of obstacles. I've had people that have come back to me that said, thank you for being there when I needed you. I know that you have something special. God has something special planned for your life. You may not know what it is yet. You may not be able to see it, but I will tell you this, no matter how low you are at the moment, you have something special planned. So you just have to make it through to the other side. And you may not even be able to see the light right now, 
but I will promise you that it's out there. You just have to put one foot in front of the other and make the journey. That's it. So let's talk about your books. Where where can somebody find them and how do they find them? Uh, you can actually find them on Amazon. Uh, one of them is a novel that I wrote in 2011. Um, so if you like romance, smutty lo- romance novels, <laughs> it might be something that you like. Uh, but the second book that I have actually came out in 2018. And I documented the experience of um, meeting one new person a week for 52 weeks. Um, that book is entitled 52 New Friends. And if you do go to Amazon and you purchase that book, um, all of the profits from that book actually go back to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And right now, um, we are having our virtual walk on November 14th. And I say virtual, we're really just not gathering as one person because you can't socially distance a group of like 4,000 people. So um, we're telling people to still walk on November 14th. Please continue to still raise funds. Um, you can walk in your neighborhood. You can bike. You can swim. We don't care how you do it, whatever you do. Um, but take the time to really do something on November 14th. And we're going to have all kinds of fun things on social media in order to support that. Um, so that's my plug for <laughs> Well, we're we're going to keep we're gonna, organization. We're going to keep plugging. Where do they if somebody wants to get involved or 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 have you come and speak, where's the best way to find you? Uh best way to find me really is on social media. Um and you can find me um you know, my name is Erica Macbeth, um, and it's all with the C's, Erica with a C, Macbeth with just a C. Um, but you can find me on Erica Macbeth on Twitter. You can find me Erica Macbeth on Facebook. You can find me Erica Macbeth on Instagram. Um, I've even got a website entitled Erica Macbeth. So um, you can you can pretty much find me anywhere. All right. So so if, and they can find you on this podcast. <laughs> So we and, and they can they can find me on these podcasts. I'm all over the place. All right, and so now we're going back to the the one of the last pieces I want to talk about. I know. Do you raise all year round, or because I know that you get this challenge just for the week challenge? But and how close are you to your goal as of today? So um. So- September, and, and first of all, thank you very much for your de- generous donation. But um, in um, September, we have the month full of challenges because se- September is actually suicide prevention month. Um, and this week is actually um, suicide prevention week. So um, we keep everything going on social media with a lot of challenges. I found that one of the most effective challenges is something I call the 20 buck challenge. And I just go around for 10 days and ask uh, one person a day for 20 bucks. And uh, they kind of give me like an idea of who to ask. Like one of them is your spouse and one of them is maybe a parent. Today it was ask a coworker. Um, So the goal is to raise $200 for suicide prevention in 10 days. Um, As of today, I believe I've raised around $1,200 for suicide prevention. There you go. And I've still got more to go. I'm not done yet. Um, technically I have met my goal, um, but I know with COVID and, you know, the purse strings are pretty tight for a lot of people. And I completely understand that, but this is really, really important. There are so many people that, um, because of the pandemic and I should probably backtrack and say, 
The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, they do research on how to prevent suicide. And we do not have the official numbers and will not have the official numbers until well after the year is done. But from what I've heard from therapists and um, other people in the mental health area, it is very bad out there right now because COVID has caused a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. It's triggered a lot of PTSD. It has triggered a lot of addiction issues. And all of those things can be triggers for suicide. So we feel like the numbers are not going to be very good. Um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention actually takes that money, puts it into research, but it also puts it into programs in order to help catch people um, before they attempt. And like one of the things that we know is we know that there are a certain percentage of people that visit a doctor's office before they actually attempt within like the three to six months. So we like to train those doctors on what to look for in order to try to prevent any more attempts. So, um, it's super important that we keep those programs in place. And I'm afraid if we don't have the funding for next year, this year has been so bad. Next year may be very bad as well. We want to make sure we keep those programs in place. So that's what's driving me because I want to make sure that that funding is in place when people really need it. And yeah. And what I'm seeing from the, the law practice and I had a uh, former client call me up. Um, he's actually getting a, getting ready to get evicted and he called me up because I'm the only lawyer he knows. I'm like, I don't do real estate or land. I have no idea what you're even talking about. But I mean, he had a perfect job as well before. And now he's, he's like, it's been tight. I've lost money. Um, I'm, I'm ready to get evicted. I'm like, you're getting ready to get evicted. And so, and they're talking about how people, especially in Arizona, because there's so many folks that have come from other places so if they get evicted, it's not like you can get evicted and, and you call your mom and you like, is the, is the couch still in the basement? You know, you're, right. you're on the street. And right. to be that close to having everything in your mind to being on the street, like this guy, if he gets evicted, he could be, we could see him homeless. And I could see yeah. a whole lot of negative things coming because I was talking to him and I'm like, He's, I, I you people always ask, hey, how you doing? And um, so I said, hey, this is Stephen Zachary. How you been? He said, well, I, I got some problems. I was like, oh, okay. For a second, I thought you were just gonna call me because nobody calls me. The only people only call me when they're when they're having troubles. I thought I was gonna have a first time where someone's gonna call me and they're actually doing well. And and I'm seeing, it's amazing how <laughs> many people I'm seeing who had what would society would call great situations and positions and then have it crumble in front of them. Like people who, and I didn't even think about how much impact, uh, residual impact. Like there's a guy who uh, drives a truck and he delivers uh, things to bars and restaurants. That's his job. I get in my truck mm -hmm. every day and I drive things to bars and restaurants. I drive into the back. They unload it. I keep driving. And mm -hmm. nothing. No trucks were moving. And, you know, he he made a good living 
you know, obviously he wasn't living in, in a mansion, but he was having a good living and everything was for him was going to be all right because he knew that one thing was never going to happen. And that was bars and restaurants were never going to close. And when he got to that never will happen, it happened. Right. We, I mean, listen, if 2020 has taught us anything, we have no idea what's going to happen. But um, that's where I think that a lot of people were kind of lulled into this um, natural. First of all, I think, in particularly in the United States, we put way too much emphasis on our jobs. Um, I like I like to tell people, listen, I want to go to I want to go to my job and I want to do a good job for my employer. But that is not who I am. Um, so what you do is not who you are. And I think that's really difficult for a lot of people to distance themselves from. So when they lose their job and they lose their income, they've also lost their identity if they have not really worked on that, um, which is even doubly hard for people. So, um, there are a lot of people out there right now that, I mean, and I think that there's going to be some struggle for a really long time. The one thing I can tell people is you just have to put one foot in front of the other because as long as you're still breathing, then there's hope for a better tomorrow. So find that better tomorrow. It may not be the way that you think that it's going to come, but it will come. Um, I always tell people like when I need something, I start knocking on doors because, you know, I'm a salesperson for a living. So <laughs> like knock on doors and I, you know, and I have a lot of doors that just get slammed in my face or they might open a crack and then they're like, Nope, don't want that. And like, um, I can go and I can knock on doors all day and I laugh and I tell my boss, you know, it's always the door behind me that opens, but I've got to put the work in knocking on all the other doors in order to make the one behind me open. And uh, I don't know how that works. I think God has a sense of humor. <laughs> hey, so they got to laugh about somebody. <laughs> You're part of the comedy show in heaven. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I've done all this work and I've gotten nothing out of any of this, but there's this door that opened up that was so easy that was right behind me. So I always say, don't get too focused on what's in front of you. Look what is what behind you as well, because you never know where that opportunity is going to be. That's right. And I, when I, I used to coach youth basketball and kids get scared and crumble quick, especially in mm -hmm. high pressure sports events. So I had a young man who, he was in the game, and he shot the ball, missed. Came down, and a few minutes later, shot the ball, missed, shot the ball, missed. And he missed six in a row. And then he was wide open, and he didn't shoot. And I pulled him out of the game. I said, you were wide open. Why didn't you shoot the game? He said, Coach Zach, I missed six in a row. I said, you only shoot 40%. You already missed your six. You already missed your 60%. You got the best chance of hitting the next four. Get back in the game. I don't want the guy right. that, that just made four because he's, he's not going to make the next six. You've, you've failed the first six, so now you've got nothing but success in front of you. So I think we got it. Exactly. We got, we, we've got to learn how to – we have to learn how to celebrate our, our defeats as well. Um, sometimes when you fall flat on your face, it's the best thing that could have happened to you. And I know that sounds really weird, um, but – I, I really, really believe everything works out for people just as it's supposed to. And just when you think you're at the end of your rope, guess what? You get like a little envelope in the mail with cash or like something weird happens that you would never expect. And I mean, that's happened to me. 
Like yeah. there was once when I was in my mid twenties and I couldn't pay my bills. And I was thinking, how in the world am I going to pay my rent this month? I was $250 short and I had no idea this was happening, but my church back in Kentucky um, that I had grown up in knew that I was struggling and they had actually sent um, $250 to another girl who had struggled and she paid it forward by sending it to me because she knew I was struggling at that time. So you never know where you never know where things are going to come from. Yep. You've got to you got to have faith. And you, and, you know, when you have faith, you know, it's going to work out and you, it, everything's going to be fine. But you got to have that faith. And 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 then it becomes a testimony like that. This is now a testimony from you to somebody who's listening. It's like you're at your last rope. But just remember, it is going to happen. And what I've been doing, uh, although I missed it today because somebody wanted me to get on a podcast today on Friday. You know, but I, I call it Pay It Forward Friday. And, you know, usually I'll be pumping my gas or something. And I always like to leave $5 with the cashier, $10 with the cashier and say, somebody's going to come in and they're going to be struggling. I want you to see them when they're struggling and say, don't worry about it. Somebody has paid $5 for you. Go get a coffee. It's been paid. And, you know, I think that if we start getting pay it forward Friday going, it is amazing how many people would get benefited from from that, including the people who uh, are actually having to look to see who the person is that's struggling. You know, because you have mm-hmm. you then you're attuned. Just like you said, we have to be attuned to people. And so if if everybody said, I'm going to have it pay it forward Friday, I'm going to look for somebody to give the uh, I'm going to give this to this money to to help them. Then I think that that you're, you'd be amazed at how it is that people are like, dang, I, I all I needed was a cup of coffee and it happened. And I have so many stories from ministers who have stepped out. I remember one minister saying that he and his wife uh, had only enough food to, to feed their child. And they said, I know God's going to be able to help us. And he, his car wasn't working. It was all the way down. And then the doorbell rings and somebody said, hey, I, I know that you're being a pastor. I just want to talk to you about what you're doing. Uh, do you mind if I can take you and your wife to dinner? And he's like, wow, we're just actually getting fed. And so they were walking outside, and, and the guy said, do you want to drive or do I want to drive? And he said, the guy, the pastor said, my, my car is not working, so can you drive? And um, then he, um, then he, the, so he's, they leave. He's like, okay, I'll be there in a second. They get in the car. They go out to eat. They come back. Some other neighbors have his car up on jacks, fixing his car. And he's like, in one day, we went from, God, we have faith in you that you're going to make it work, to actually God showing how. In ways, he said he'd never met the guy before. He didn't even know that the guy knew he was in ministry. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he said he got fed. They bought him groceries, fixed his car. And off he goes. I was like, yeah, but pastor, that's so you have a testimony later. So when somebody else is going through it, you can say it is bad now, 
But I can tell you with faith, it's all going to work out because you, you need to have a testimony to tell somebody else. We came to an hour. I appreciate it. Erica Macbeth, is it .com? Is your website ericamacbeth.com? You can find my website and my, my short stories, but um, go to you can you can go to Amazon to find my book, 52 New Friends. Um, and if you want to get more involved with suicide prevention, um, go to A is in America, S is in Frank, S is in Sam, P is in Paul, dot org backslash Arizona all spelled out. That's afsc.org backslash Arizona um, and you will be able to see all of the amazing work that the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention actually does. Excellent. My good friend Erica Macbeth, I'm glad that you, you took some time to come on the podcast. Be blessed, stay safe and we'll see you at some event. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening today. Thank you to all our guests. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Stephen Zachary Minister Gilbert the Arizona Message Ministry on Facebook, and feel free to send me an email to the message2.us or to my private website, stephenzachary.com. Thank you to Haribo Books for supporting us. That's haribobooks.com. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks.